time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Folks, I'm excited to invite a public speaker to the microphone today and this podcast. And this person is someone who has created quite a brand for herself, and I want her to tell her story. I met Brittany Hodak at the Housing Wire event about six months ago, and we've been working on getting her on the podcast. We finally scheduled it. I'm so excited. Brittany, welcome to the Lickin' and Lending podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. For those that don't know you, you're getting well-known. You're certainly well-known within your circles. Those in the mortgage banking circles, I'm telling you, listeners, you need to get to know Brittany. So check out our website, BrittanyHodak.com. Brittany is spelled B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-H-O-D-A-K.com. Check it out. But Brittany, tell us a little bit about yourself. We just want to get to know you personally. For those that don't know you, tell us about yourself. Well, thank you. Well, I am a speaker and an entrepreneur. I have been doing marketing for about 15 years now. Most of my background is actually in the entertainment business. So I'm relatively new to the mortgage and lending space, but have been so, so appreciative of the open arms that I've been welcomed with and have just been having a blast getting to know more and more about the industry and all the incredible people who work in it. Well, it is an amazing industry. I love it. It's a stressful industry because we're working with one of the most stressful transactions in someone's life, buying your first home and you're refinancing your existing home. It's just, it's just so stressful. It can be. But it starts with getting out there and getting your name out there. And you have just a gift, Brittany, of doing that. And I want to get into that part of your story. So for the past year and a half, I've been focused pretty much exclusively on keynote speaking and writing because, as I said, it's a passion point of mine. It's something that I really, really love, the ability to, you know, share all of this knowledge that I've gained over the past 15 years, which is teaching people how to create fans and not just fans, but super fans. And I define a super fan as somebody who over indexes in their affinity for your brand or service, which therefore increases the likelihood that they are are going to advocate on your behalf as part of their everyday life. So, you know, in, in layman's terms, these are customers that create more customers for you. These are people who you wowed in some way with your customer service who are out there drawing more customers to you. So they become like this unpaid army of advocates out there that are just constantly referring new clients to you, which as somebody who has spent almost my entire career in sales, that's what you want, right? You, you want quality yes. referrals from customers that are just drawing new people to you. And as I mentioned, most of my background was in entertainment. I've worked with some of the, the largest musicians and, and biggest celebrities in the world on their personal brands, on product launches, albums, tours, movies, sports teams, all, all kinds of really high-profile things. And what I started to realize over the years as my company, uh, the Superfan Company, which I founded all the way back in 2010 and exited earlier this year, what I started to realize is I was doing more consulting for brands and retailers is that the same psychographic traits that make somebody identify with their favorite artist or their favorite 
actor or their favorite sports teams, those are the same types of triggers. Those are the same areas of our brains that light up when we're talking about experiences that we love or brands that we love or places that we love to travel. And more than that, it's the same activation in our brain when we're dealing with experiences and products and services that we enjoy. So I started to think, I wonder if some of these same tools and tricks and tips that I've been using for you know the past 15 years to help sell albums and get people to want to listen to a new song or come to a concert tour, I wonder if we can kind of reverse engineer these and start to figure out how to make it work so that somebody who's working in sales can create super fans for their own business to help mm, grow their good. own brand, even though they're not a celebrity. Because, you know, if you think about it, one of the, one, one of the things that first started me down this path and thinking about it is music is such a personal thing, right? And if you think about yes. your favorite artist, it doesn't matter how famous they are to anyone else. You don't care about how big they are. I mean, there's like a whole, you know, a whole subset of people who sort of don't like the music anymore once it becomes mainstream or once the artist breaks out. Like they want to feel like they're part of that discovery crowd or the early adopters who figure it out. But the this level of fame or notoriety or success to the world doesn't matter to you. It's all about you and that musician. It's all about the yeah, impact so that good. those songs have made in your life and the connection that you personally feel. And that's what's so neat about personal branding is you don't have to be the biggest or the most famous or the most well-known in your space. You've just got to have a really great one-to-one connection and a reputation for doing a really great job one-to-one. And that's why this idea of creating super fans is so powerful and why it really is a leg up to somebody who's you know, getting into the mortgage industry for the first time or really any industry for the first time. It's saying, hey, you don't have to feel like you're at a disadvantage because you're competing against all of these people who have, you know, bigger name recognition or they've been in the market for longer. Just like there are new artists who come onto the scene all the time and new actors and actresses and athletes that come onto the scene all the time. They're not trying to compete with the most famous or the most well-known out there. They're trying to be the very best version of what they do and let people see why they're great. And then they create their own fans. I think there's such a temptation to be someone else or try to be someone else. And I heard the speaker say, you know, that person's already taken, but there is no one quite like you, the way you're wired. So be the best version of yourself. I love that. But when you started out, if I remember your story correctly, when you spoke of the Housing Wire Engaged Conference, by the way, I want to put a plug in for that conference. It's an outstanding marketing conference. And that's where I met Brittany and heard her speak. And while you were speaking, you told some stories of how you got started. And I admired your boldness and how you got started. It, it, you overcame those self-limiting arguments that so many people carry. Tell us one of those stories that you shared with, if you can remember back that long ago, what the, the, one of those stories that you shared there. I was so taken back by it. Sure. So, you know, I had the idea for the Superfan Company when I was in college. And I was, I was a college rep for one of the, the major record labels. And Every week they would have these calls where they talked about the state of the industry and it was supposed to be to sort of educate the college kids about all the different facets so you could decide if maybe you wanted to go into like A&R or marketing or publicity or whatever. And this was in 2000 two, three, four. So it was very doom and gloom in the music industry because Napster was like the big thing. And, you know, Mm -hmm. all of these executives kept saying basically, hey, kids, go do something else. You're young enough to go change your career path. Don't come into our industry. It's, you know, it's a mess. 
nobody knows what's going to happen. Go do something else. And after like the third wow. week in a row of these calls, I said, well, if the problem is nobody's buying CDs anymore, why don't you just make a CD a product somebody would want to buy? Like, why would somebody want to get in their car, drive to the store, go buy this useless piece of plastic, you know, come home, put it in their computer when there's absolutely no increased value over just stealing it from your friend? Like, why would anybody want to do that? Like, I'm a college kid. I, like, I don't want to do that. So why don't you just create a product that people want to buy? So I had this idea of sort of merchifying music and taking the CD and packaging it with like a magazine with all kinds of exclusive profiles and photos and interviews mm, and yeah. some sort of merchandise piece that would become a collectible. So that was my idea for this product, a product that I called Zine Pack, um, which was the, the idea of like a magazine package. And that would be the new configuration right. that we would release music in. So nobody really liked the idea. Um, everybody was kind of like, oh, that's cute, college kid. Like, you put your PowerPoint together. That was, you know, good job. And so... Yeah, love, love those years, encouraging, those encouraging, not so encouraging conversations, uh, non-validating. Exactly. Yeah, but that was a brilliant idea, though. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, that continued, like, literally for years. So I graduated from school. I went to go work for another record company. And, you know, on, like, my fifth day, I was like, guys, like, I... I built this, you know, I put together this business plan. I have this idea for a product and same thing. Everybody was kind of like, Oh, that's, that's a cute idea, but you know, that's not really what we do. So after about three and a half years of trying to get my idea to come to fruition at the, the record label where I worked, I went to go work for an ad agency. Same thing. I was like, I have this great idea. And by this point, because I had spent the, at that point, five years building all these relationships with retailers, I was like, look, I know this will work. I have proof of concept. I've talked to several retailers mm-hmm. about it. Let me give this a try. And just nobody was willing to, nobody was willing to go on a limb to see if it would work. So finally, I was like, I guess I'm going to have to switch jobs again because one of the main reasons that I had left the record company I was at to go to the ad agency was I thought the ad agency would, would understand this model and would let me be sort of an entrepreneur, you know, working within the company yeah. to, to do these big yeah. things. And when they didn't, I, I called, you know, the, the woman who uh, was the Walmart buyer at the time who had become a friend of mine. And she, I was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to find somewhere else to go. I promise I'm going to figure out how to make this work. And she said to me, you know, Brittany, this is your idea. This is your baby. You've been telling me about this for years. Why don't you just start your own company? And I was like, I mean, I never Mm. thought about starting my own company. I don't even know how to do that. And she said, I know this is you. And I know no matter what company you go to, it's going to be you driving it. I would much rather see you participate in all the upsides. I'll give you a vendor number. I'll make introductions. I'll help you in whatever way I can. Wow. I really believe in this product. She said, if you can go get a record label to be the test case to try this and it's successful, I will help you the rest of the way. Like if you can go prove that this works one time with one record company, I will help make connections to you to anybody else you need. And I was like, deal, like accepted. And I literally Googled how to start a business. Like I knew nothing about starting (laughs) a business. I never thought about starting my own company before. Like it was literally my first Google search was, was how to start a business. And you know, I sort of went from there. So I was as green and as inexperienced as anyone could be. I made every single mistake you can make along the way. And, you know, the 
the one thing that I had in my corner, which was just so incredible, was the support of a, a team of amazing marketers at Walmart who said, you know, we've got your back. That's we so believe cool. in this product. And, you know, they believed in the product because they, they saw the potential for it to be a really great offering for their customers. And so for the first three or four years, Walmart was pretty much our only client. Like we were pretty much just making products for their stores. And we did tens of millions of dollars of retail sales on products in their stores with deluxe editions of albums for everybody from, you know, Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber to like the Beach Boys and Kiss. I mean, we were, if there was a priority (laughs) release that was coming out, we were partnering to make, you know, sometimes as many as like a quarter million copies of the the deluxe version, which was, which was really, really cool. So that was, that was my first business that I launched when I was, I guess about 26 when I finally started the company, 26, 27. Wow, that's great. I love that. And I love the tenacity. It's believing in an idea, believing in yourself and not letting go. And I think so many people look at, at in the mortgage industry, it's, it can be with so many companies still so archaic. And they have an idea and they go, they try to bring it to their own company that they're working with or they'll change companies and try it here and there. Sometimes you just need to go out on your own. I love that journey. We've got to talk about that another podcast about what you went through because we do a lot of consulting in that space. And I'm fascinated with it. But talk about the growth. And then talk about what was the big moment uh, that where it just all of a sudden catapulted you into the success that you're enjoying now. And then I want to hear learn more about the transition to becoming a keynote speaker and then you know, walking away from the thing that you'd built and been so passionate about. Talk about that journey. Sure. So, you know, it, it, it snowballed really fast. I mean, I, I remember – probably, well, I had no idea how many small businesses fail and I had no idea how mm-hmm. likely I, I, it was for me to, you know, crash and burn when I started my company. I'm glad I didn't know, you know, they say ignorance. <laughs> well, I had no idea. I just thought, like I looked around and I saw other people running businesses and I was like, well, if they figured it out, I can figure it out. Like how hard can it be? You know, people figure it out every day. And that was sort <laughs> so of my attitude. And the deal that I made with myself and with my husband was, I, I was 26 at the time, and I said, you know, there's never going to be a better time for me to try to do this and fail. If I crash and burn, I'll just go get a job somewhere else. I'll put CEO on my resume. You know, it's going to be fine. But we don't, we don't have a mortgage. We don't have kids. We don't have anything that's making it, you know, difficult for me to do this. I, I was married at the time, so I was able to go on my husband's health benefits. So I said, I'm going to try this for one year. And at the end of one year, if I've made a salary that's at least half of what I made at my day job, I'm going to keep going because I think if I can earn half the salary or revenue in the first year, you know, like to net to me, then I think I can grow from there. And I remember about probably five or six months into starting the business, I came across a statistic from an American Express research study that said fewer than 2% of women-owned businesses ever do a million dollars in revenue. And I said, well, I'm going to do a million dollars in revenue and I'm going to do it before our first anniversary because I want to be in that club. That sounds like a really cool club to be in. And so about a week before we hit our one-year anniversary, I got the PO that put us over a million dollars in business. And oh, I was awesome. so proud because I was like, okay, we're, I'm in that 2% club. I've, I've done it. Um, and that, of course, my, you know, I, I exceeded what had been sort of my wildest expectations of, of how the first year would go. And what I sort of dawned on me at the end of that first year is, you know, I spent so much time thinking, what if it fails? What if it fails? What if it fails? I'd never really stopped to think, what if it's wildly successful? 
Like, what if I actually can do this? And what if it actually Mm. takes off? And so I found myself in this situation where, you know, I wasn't really prepared for the success. I wasn't really prepared for the fact that, you know, some of the largest entertainers in the world were coming to us saying, well, we want to work with you. And, you know, how how can we work together? And and some of the largest brands wonderful. hey, I've seen the list that you've created. Because what we were doing was creating incremental product sales, sometimes to the tune of millions of dollars for our our label partners um, and for our our, um, studio partners for these DVD and CD releases, video game releases, we are creating, in some cases, millions of dollars of incremental sales on products that would not have existed had we not created them. And then we were letting brands get in on it by doing shopper marketing promotions. So they were getting these sales lists too with all these cool displays and we were integrating media. So we had, you know, all these cool TV campaigns we were doing with celebrities and brands and it was just, it was working so well for everyone that it really just became, you know, one of those perfect storms where there was value being added all around. And that's really how it sort of snowballed because we started getting a lot of press because people were saying, okay, we've got this startup that's, you know, entirely owned by females. It's, you know, they've taken no VC money. They're doing, you know, seven figures of revenue. They're working with the largest retailer in the world and they're doing all of this without any kind of like technology play. You know, this is a a Mm non-tech startup. So we started getting lots of press and I was a PR major in my undergrad degree. So I knew quite a bit about how to sort of snowball it and how to take something, you know, small press and leverage it for bigger and bigger opportunities. And so that snowballed all the way up to us being invited to be on Shark Tank, which is obviously one of the, one of the biggest eyeballs. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So we had, and the the episode of Shark Tank that, that um, we were on, there were about eight and a half million viewers for the first airing. And then when it re-aired on network, it was almost five million viewers. And then wow. every single time that the CNBC reruns happened, we would get a big spike. And a lot of times I've got, you know, I've had friends that have been on the show and I've heard from other entrepreneurs on the show that once it goes to the syndicated, that doesn't really do a lot for them because they're B2C brands, like they're, they're reaching consumers. Right. But because we were more of an agency targeting B2B, we had a huge bump every single time the CNBC show ran. So it became like this unpaid sales oh, sales force for us that every single time it would air. So that really helped grow the business. And that honestly became something that divided my attention a lot because with the Shark Tank, I started getting a lot more offers for consulting, a lot more offers for speaking. And your question about making the decision to move away from doing the business and the consulting every day and doing more of the speaking. Um, in 2016, my husband and I were ready to leave New York. Like I'd been in New York for 11 years. I was over it. I grew up in Oklahoma. And so I was just ready to start a family not <laughs> yep. anymore. So I moved to Nashville, Tennessee and just loved it here. And it just became a lot company with my team all still in New York and, you know, being here and it was a lot of travel. And then when my son was born, I was like, I, you know, I'm traveling for the business. I'm traveling for the consulting part of the business. And as I started getting more and more speaker opportunities, I just had to, to make a decision of, you know, I, I can't continue yep. to do all of these things and do them well, rather than feeling like I'm doing a bunch of things pretty good. I want to be like the best in the world at something. And so I had to just yep. say, what is the path that I want to go down that I think for the next decade gives me the opportunity to feel like I'm excelling and being the best that I can be and also having the kind of family 
balance that I want for my life. And so that was the speaker. So good. So I made the decision to sell out the majority of my equity in the company to some partners of ours that have been partners for a long time. So it's been kind of like the best of of all worlds for me for this year, which has been really exciting. So talk to me about public speaking. What the objective, what's the goal, what's the opportunity that you see here and you are an outstanding speaker. And anyone listening to this, if you're looking for a speaker for your event, I strongly recommend you go to Brittany's website and check it out. Get a hold of her. But talk about what's the passion, the purpose, and your why behind public speaking. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. You know, my why is really teaching people how to connect their story with the stories of the people whose lives they have the potential to impact. And that's really what it's about for me. And when I talk about this idea of super fans and creating super fans, it's, it's empowering you to change the lives of the people around you. And if you can do that, if you can figure out why you're on this planet, if you can figure out what it is yes. that you have the unique ability to do that's going to improve the lives of people around you and do that every day and be, you know, feel, feel blessed that you've been called to serve in that capacity and that you can, you know, touch people in, in that way. That's a great thing. And I, and I feel like it's, you know, what's that saying? Like the rising tide lifts all ships or yep, I probably yep. got that wrong, but you know, the yeah, idea, yeah, rising tide lifts all boats. It's, it's, it's the concept. Yeah. It's so good. Okay, it's I was say, that's, like, that's like the concept. The word, the wording might be a little wrong, but um, you know, that idea of if that's the reality we can all live in, like what a wonderful world, like what a fantastic thing. And I honestly, I, I never thought about mortgages. I knew nothing about the mortgage industry before my husband and I bought our home. And, you know, I was, I don't know, 30 something. And I, I'd been living in New York for, for over a decade. So it just was like not even on my radar. And we had such a horrible experience buying mm-hmm. our home like on the mortgage. And the more I talked to friends, everybody was like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's like a lot of people have terrible experiences. And I was like, but, but why? I don't, I don't understand. Like this is, this is, you know, probably the largest purchase most people are going to make in their lifetimes at one of the most stressful periods, you know, like at least I know I, when I was buying our home and we were moving across the country to a state we had never been, or we didn't have cars and didn't have families and didn't have, you know, any sort of home base, like it was so stressful. So to be going through one of the most, you know, difficult to understand challenging things at a time where you're sort of the most like mentally stressed out and taxed out. I was like, this just, it, I can't understand why there are so many people that aren't like doing an amazing job at this. And, you know, on the flip side of it, on the, on the, the side of, of loan originators, like it just, it seems to me like such a superpower. Like you're somebody, if you're working mm-hmm. in the mortgage industry, you're empowered to change people's lives in a really amazing, incredible, fantastic way. Like you're literally making dreams come true. Like you're literally helping someone's dream come true yeah, with it. homeownership. And, you know, there's just such such an opportunity to make that an incredible experience rather than a yeah. terrible experience. And so that, that was really well, I, what we, sort of sparked my interest in the industry. Well, I'm so glad you're bringing your message to the mortgage industry. I believe that housing is the fourth most transformative thing you can have happen in your life. I think powerful religious experience is the number one. Second is meeting a wonderful spouse and meeting the love of your life. And the third thing is, you know, watching your children be born, if it's a guy, or have birthing a child, and you're with child again. So, so congratulations. So excited I am, about that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. 
so, so excited. And then the fourth most transformative thing is when you buy your home or refinance. And I think that's why I believe housing, we, we need a reinvention of the process. And that's what we're committed to do so that we create a great experience. And it's what's really interesting about it is it is something that the bad experiences out there, which there's such an abundance of. You see, it's one of the, I was on with Neil Cavuto one time at a Fox, and he said, Dave, I have to realize, I says, I keep thinking that newscasters are the least loved people in the United States. He says, I think the mortgage industry is actually below us. And I cracked up. It's sad, but true. And so I'm really excited about your influence to raise the bar. Give some suggestions. What are some best practices that our listeners could walk away with from talking to you today or listening to you today that you talk about also when you're doing public speaking? First of all, I, I, I love that Neil said that. And I love that you and so many others are working so hard in the mortgage industry to change that perception because I think it is making a difference. And, you know, the one thing I would say, one takeaway that is applicable, not just in the mortgage industry, but really in any industry, is something called the platinum rule. And we all grew up with the golden rule, which is treat others the way you want to be treated. The platinum rule takes that a step further. And it says, not everyone wants to be treated the way you want to be treated, because not everyone has your same experiences and knowledge and background. So instead, treat others the way they want to be treated. And if you can do that, if you can follow the platinum rule and treat others the way they want to be treated, everything else will kind of fall into place. It's kind of like one of my personal goals this year was, was to read the entire Bible from start to finish because I never had. Oh, I, I love it. Oh, me too. Yes. Um, so I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm with it. but in the New Testament over and over again, they just say like, if the only thing you're going to get right, like if you're going to just pick one thing and do it right, just love everybody. And if you just love and respect everyone, the rest is going to fall into place. Like, don't worry about any of the other stuff. Like, if you just remember one thing, just remember to love everybody. And they say that like over and over and over again. Like, wow, that's, you know, that's really great advice. And and it's sort of the same thing. This love, respect, the platinum rule. Like, if you just treat others the way that they want to be treated. And the only way you're going to know how your customers want to be treated is to ask them. Because not everyone is going to want to be treated the same way. From big things about, you know, all the financial stuff down to like the seemingly small things of, you know, how do you want to be contacted? Do you want me to text or do you want me to call? Do you want me to email or do you want me to write? How do you mm. want me to be, you know, following up? Like those, those seemingly little things don't treat everyone like a number or like another person on your, on your quota sheet for the month. Treat everyone as an individual who has their own needs, who's reaching their own dreams by buying this one individual house. And if you can do that, if you can follow the platinum rule and treat everyone as an individual, I love you are that. well on your way. I love the platinum rule. Brittany, we've got to have you back to talk about that. Uh, we share the same values. Uh, I, just didn't, I just didn't realize that going into the interview, but we share that. I'm being interviewed on another podcast. And they asked me, what's my favorite business book? I said, Proverbs. I said, if we could just yeah. get that one book on, on leadership, it's one of the best books on leadership. I encourage that the whole Bible has got just filled with so many good principles. Again, the main major one is you know, how to love other people, but learn to love and love well, but it's, it's learning their love language. And and one of my favorite books is The Five Love Languages, and we all have them. There's some people that love to be hugged and some people that will just find that the most offensive thing in the world. There's people that love words of affirmation. Other people will see that as something as superficial. So I want you all to think of an event that's coming up and invite Brittany to come and speak at that event. Whoever's organizing that event, share with them Brittany's contact information, which opens the door to Brittany. What is the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, thank you, Dave, again so much for having me on the show and for all these kind words. People can find me at my website, which is BrittanyHodak.com. If you want to send me an, an email, it's just hello at BrittanyHodak.com. So please feel free to reach out. And for anyone who's listening who wants a little more information about creating super fans, what that means, what that could potentially mean to your business and how to do it. I've got a free ebook up on my website. It's called okay. the super fan wave and wave is my acronym. It's a little bit like my Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but it's the acronym to help making sure that you're thinking about each level of customer service. And the acronym stands for welcomed, appreciated, validated, and engaged. So in the book, I, I go through each it. of those four levels and how you can make people feel welcomed before they ever even do business with you, appreciated at every step of the process, validated in all of their fears, thoughts, and concerns, and engaged with you beyond the point of sale. So that they're becoming these active referrers who are keeping you top of mind. Uh, Because a lot of times, like, the referrals that you miss out on are the referrals that you never knew there was an opportunity for because the best referrals are the ones that are coming unaided. When somebody says, hey, I'm thinking about buying a house, and their friend or their coworker or their, you know, son's little league coach says, oh, I've got someone you've got to talk to for your mortgage. Like, it's not the ones that people say, can you refer someone to me? It's, it's the unaided referrals that are the ones that are going to hold the most weight. And that's what you want to get to. You want to get to the point to where you've got these engaged super fans who are keeping you top of mind and are thinking of you because you've enhanced their lives in some way and they want you to make the lives of the people around them better. So um, it's called the Super Fan Wave. You can get it at brittanyhodak.com slash wave or anywhere really on my website. Um, there's links to it. And uh, I really hope people find it valuable. Um, I love hearing from people about how they've been able to take the principles in it and put them to work in their own lives. You're going to like it because there's a bunch of quotes throughout the books that are very Proverbs-esque of really great customer service and really yeah. great putting putting cans first. So you're, there's, there's a little bit of something for everyone in it, including some really great quotes that some of them sound like they could have been right out of the book of Proverbs. Love it. Brittany, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thrilled and looking forward to having people get to know you and have you come and speak at their events. We're going to make sure that happens. Thank you so much. Thank you again. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors. Again, we have Black Knight, Open Mortgage, Finastra, MBA, Lenders One, The Mortgage Collaborative, CMLA, as well as Velma, Knowledge Scoop, Vidyard, VendorSurf, our newest sponsor at AI Assist. Thanks for listening, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.